Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Monday, December 4th. I'm Stephen Overly. Whenever people tell me that artificial intelligence can be used for good, one of the examples they often point to is its potential to combat climate change. As the planet gets hotter and natural disasters grow more intense, we'll need technology to save us. And AI will power a lot of it. Expect that to be a topic of conversation at the big United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP28, which is just getting underway this week in the United Arab Emirates. Marcin Mitchell is the Senior Vice President for Climate Change at the World Wildlife Fund, and I spoke with her from Dubai, where she's attending COP28. Marcin is bullish on the many emerging technologies that promise to mitigate the climate crisis. But... She also told me technology is not an end-all, be-all. You know, this is a question of time. So when I say it's not a technological problem, it's not that we have all the technological solutions that we need to get to absolute net zero of, of, you know, reducing emissions. We don't. But we have the technology to start. On the show today, Marcin explains how these advanced technologies can make a difference and why there are bigger challenges to overcome before that happens. Marcin, great to have you on Politico Tech, where I think we'll be talking about climate and energy a lot over the next week or two because of COP28. You're in Dubai now. What's the climate like there? Well, you know, it's the beginning of the COP, and so there's a lot of excitement. The heads of states have just arrived and are beginning to make their statements. We're also having simultaneously a lot of the subnational players, meaning governors and mayors and things like that, also talking about how they can contribute to the climate agenda. And so it is, you know, there's a lot of anticipation because, if you, as you know, we just recently had what they call the global stock take, which is how well have we done since the Paris Agreement. And as you can imagine, we're really not on track yet. So the anticipation is, well, given that piece of news that we know we're not on track and that 2023 is the hottest year in record, and we haven't even finished December, what are we actually going to do about it? How are we going to move to more ambitious targets? How are we going to move to faster implementation? What are the tools in our toolbox to make this address to the climate crisis really be effective? Well, I think that's a perfect setup for our conversation today, talking about this intersection of technology and climate change and addressing sort of the climate crisis. And I, I want to start off with sort of this you know, fundamental question, which is technology a crutch? I think sometimes there's kind of this savior syndrome around technology that you know will just sort of out-innovate our, our human problems. And I, I wonder if you see that happening with the climate debate right now. You know, Stephen, you've made a really good point. And we do sometimes look at technology as a savior for decisions that we need to make as a community, as a human community. So we do have to be careful and smart about what technologies we develop and how we use these tools. Because we have to think of these AI and other technologies as tools, and they're only as good as the hand that's guiding them, only as good as how we use them. At the same time, you know, we are in a crisis in climate, meaning our time is very short. So we need all hands on deck. We need to do everything, everywhere, all at once. And given that, technology and AI and other tools are a very, very important part of our tool chest. 
I was going to ask you whether you sort of see AI as being critical to achieving climate goals, because that's something I've heard quite a bit, you know, including from senior U.S. officials like Secretary of State Antony Blinken. But when a lot of folks talk about AI and its potential benefits, it seems like climate is kind of a go-to example of how AI could be used for good. And it sounds like you do see it as promising in that regard. I do see it as promising because, you know, there are many activities to address the climate crisis. And let's just take nature and nature conservation and nature-based climate solutions. There's ways that technology can accelerate our knowledge and our data and of how we can use nature-based solutions in the face of climate change. For example, with the recent increase in wildfires in pristine natural areas like eastern Canada or the Amazon, it's a stark reminder how nature can quickly go from a carbon sink, which helps us in climate, to a carbon source under hotter and drier conditions. So AI in particular can come in to help us understand the impact of hotter, drier temperatures on nature and on how do we preserve nature in the future. A good example is a project that we're doing at WWF with the support from Google.org. And we launched this year an initiative called Manglaria, which translates to AI for mangroves in Spanish. And so we always known that mangroves are one of these, this is where the sea meets the land and you have these beautiful mangrove forests and they are a great natural climate solution. They're multitaskers. They store carbon, they protect coastlines, they nurture coastal wildlife populations that provide food and livelihood. So they're a really great resource. But we don't know exactly how the changing climate is going to impact mangroves. And so over the next three years, with Google as our partner, we're going to work on two protected areas in Mexico to monitor how does this extreme weather, this heat, these changes in climate affect the ability to mangroves to sequester carbon and protect these coastal communities. And we'll be collecting massive data sets from weather stations, from drones, from satellite imagery and other sensors to look at these variables like temperature and rainfall and salinity. And then we're going to take these huge data sets, and this is where AI comes in, because we can apply that to look for patterns in the data to document what these changes are and to share greater insights as to how mangroves are responding to environmental changes. And so in that example you just gave, I mean, how um, is AI really changing things compared to what maybe you were capable of doing before? It sounds like it's sort of a, a data analysis tool, you know, on the one hand, but I, I wonder how sort of that work looks different now that you kind of have access to AI technology. Because it's going to help us determine like the best places where to restore mangroves. It'll help us determine what species of mangroves are most resilient and how much carbon they're storing. And so while, again, I don't want to oversell this or overemphasize this. We also need to involve the communities who are living in those areas to reality test what the data is telling us. But it can accelerate because we're talking about acceleration. We need to be able to have these solutions faster and clearer. It can help us accelerate and make better decisions about where we spend our money, how we protect communities, how they're involved in the whole process. And, you know, you mentioned community there, and, and I wonder 
in tech, we talk a lot about these technologies sort of being developed in Silicon Valley and in these closed rooms and, and not necessarily always the most inclusive of different community groups, you know, different cause-based groups. Do you see that AI really needs to be developed in a way that brings in some of these voices, climate advocates like yourself, and also these communities that are being disrupted because of climate change? Yeah, Stephen, you know, WWF takes this really seriously, and we always strive to put people at the center of all its conservation and climate work. Because we realize that if people are not benefiting in ways that they feel is important, then we'll never be successful in the long run. At the end of the day, it is people who have to believe in the technology, who have to feel like the technology is useful in their lives, who have to be able to access the technology. It's not about people like myself, you know, flying in, using this great technology and flying out. Again, that will not be a long-term solution and it won't benefit the people that we are really trying to protect in the long run. And, and I, you know, it's not only just for these rural communities. I think in general, in all our lives, when, we, when it comes to technology, it has to feel like it is solving a problem that is meaningful to us. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. And we're back. You know, the other technology I hear so much about at the moment is carbon capture technology, you know, essentially the ability to kind of collect emitted carbon before it can really damage the environment. You know, where do you fall in this debate, whether that is sort of a, a distraction from the permanent solutions of actually reducing carbon and moving to renewable energy sources versus a, a key part of kind of solving the climate crisis? Right. Well, as a person who works for a conservation organization, I believe in particularly in the natural solutions to carbon capture. People often don't realize that over 50% of the carbon that we put up in the atmosphere is captured by our oceans and by our forests and our mangroves and our wetlands and our grasslands. Can you imagine if we had twice as much carbon going into the atmosphere, what the rate of warming would be? Because it's the carbon that goes into the atmosphere that causes this warming. And so right now we have solutions that capture over 50% of what we're putting up. So I say that we already have a natural solution. It's the place that we need to start. Now, in the long run, will carbon capture be some technology that can be useful? In almost all of the long-term projections from, say, the IPCC, there's always a place for carbon capture. Is it what we need to do in the next, you know, it used to be a decade, but now next six years? No, we really need to make sure that we are assuring that our natural carbon capture assets are in place, are healthy, are growing, and are useful to us. So it, it's a time frame, I have to say, but we can't ignore what we already have and that we should start with that and use that right now, today. Well, I mean, that will obviously be sort of a topic of constant conversation there at COP28, where you are now. How much are you anticipating the technology solutions or the technology part of this conversation to be a recurring theme there at the conference? 
I'm actually talking about it quite a bit myself. So it feels to me very relevant and very a part of the sense of urgency. And what I'm saying in these conversations is it's important that we deploy these, but really what we need more than anything is the political and social will to deploy all of our technologies, all the things that we have present, and to invest in the things that we need for the future. So right now, the problem of facing climate is not a technological problem as at this moment, right? People can debate that, but my personal opinion is it's not a technological problem. Right now, it's a problem of action. It's a problem of fear. It's a problem of not being willing to use the innovation, which is what we as human beings are so good at. This is the type of problem that we can be so good at because we're so creative, we're so innovative, but we have to take those first steps. We have to really move forward. And that's what we're asking the governments for. That's what the global stock take is saying is like, we have what we need to do this, we just have to begin to act. Then technology can be our friend. The best technology in the world, if you don't use it, is not going to be your friend. That's my major message is it's really a human problem versus a technological problem. And what do you hear back when you bring that message to folks? How are they receiving it? (laughs) Um, I think a lot of people are very open to that. Again, I think, you know, Going back to the technology can be our savior is often a way that lets us procrastinate in what we have to do today, right? Because, you know, we have technology that will save us. We've always had technology. Unfortunately, this problem is kind of a wicked problem, I would say, in the sense that geologic time, you know, moves in a different sense than human time. So there's a very big lapse in terms of what we put into the atmosphere and how we impact it. So even if we stopped putting anything in the atmosphere today, the globe would still continue to heat for several decades going forward because this geological time, it just takes that kind of lapse in order to work through the system. So again, even if we applied the greatest technologies, it would still take time. That's why we need to move today. That's why it needs to be an issue of action versus debate and why we need to invest now in research, invest now in looking forward to long-term solutions. We need long-term thinking. Well, I guess with that in mind, just my last question here, which is, you know, every time COP rolls around, you know, there's a question of what kind of commitments that countries are going to make in terms of funding for these issues, in terms of pledging new goals towards either reducing carbon or adopting renewables. I hear your point that it's sort of not at this point a technological problem. I do wonder, though, if you're looking for any sort of commitments on the technological front. Yeah, I would say so, because as I said, it's, you know, this is a question of time. So when I say it's not a technological problem, it's not that we have all the technological solutions that we need to get to absolute net zero of reducing emissions. We don't. But we have the technology to start, right? Technology, AI, satellites, drones, sensors can help us make an exponential leap. We have to change our mentality that this is an incremental changes. We actually need to make exponential changes. And technology can help us with that. So I don't want to give the impression to the audience that we have all the technology or we don't need any technological solutions. We do. Hmm. But what I want to emphasize is we first need the mentality that says we need to make exponential, not incremental change, that we need to act now and that we have what we need to start and to act now and to accelerate over the next 10 years. 
And then we also need to invest in technology, really thinking about how we want to use technology to transform our energy systems, to transform our food systems, to transform and help our natural systems. That's going to help us get to net zero over the next 30 years. I know I said that was my last question, but you inspired one last one. Yeah. So I, I hand you a magic wand, you know, and, or an unlimited bank account, which is maybe better than a magic wand. What technology do you sort of invest in or, or try to get the world behind or feel like would actually accelerate in the way that you're talking about? Well, again, this is a personal opinion. I am very excited about the hydrogen technology and the potential for it. Interesting. It's been one of these things we've watched for decades kind of come and go and people be excited about it not. I really think that we're at a point where we can make a huge breakthrough with hydrogen technology in a clean, there are lots of ways to make hydrogen, but in a clean and renewable way. And I think that will solve some of those very hard to decarbonize sectors such as some of the, the big transport, airlines, shipping, some of the very high heat that we need in, in different areas. So hydrogen to me, green hydrogen, let me make an emphasis, green hydrogen, I think is a very exciting technology and that we're kind of at the cusp of it. Excellent. Well, Marcin, I know you've got many busy days ahead. Thank you for carving out some time to be with us here on Politico Tech. Great. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for having me. Really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our producers are Annie Reese, Kara Tabor, Alex Keeney, and Philip Frobos. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.